Thanks, Liz. So, uh, yeah, it's such a privilege to be able to preach. Um, and you guys have been so patient with me as I've had a go at it here. And, and I just thank you for your patience uh, as I've done that and your encouraging words as I've done that. Well, there's a lot of rubbish TV out there. Um, but now and again, uh, some TV shows just catch you, don't they? So uh, just a few years ago when reality TV just exploded, um, I remember I got hooked on a show called Undercover Boss. So what happened in that show is the owner of a large corporation, often an American one, large enough to have several branches that would get, uh, several regional branches, sorry, is he would, uh, the boss would go undercover uh, as a new employee. Uh, and he'd go undercover and inspect these workplaces that he owned. Uh, so there was one episode, uh, the American, uh, the owner of the American fast food chain, White Castle, went undercover as a trial employee at a few of his stores. And when he, when he did it, he found um, that his workplaces were often undermanaged and he found his staff cutting corners and reducing the quality of the product, the food that was served. And then as part of the show, he'd also spend some time uh, alongside those employees who were uh, hardworking and often on the bottom of the rung, you know, just slaving away without much recognition. And often they'd have hardships in their lives, like they might have disabled children or they might uh, be working two or three jobs trying to pay for college. Uh, So what the boss would do is he'd work alongside them and learn their story. And at the end of each episode, uh, the boss would always invite the employees to come and meet him in his office and, uh, and reveal who he really was, that he was the boss. And he'd often give them feedback for what he thought of what he saw. So the, so the hardworking employees who were doing it tough, who were disadvantaged, he would give them uh, some kind of bonus. Sometimes he would, uh, he would even give them a, uh, a promotion. And uh, for the bad staff, well, he'd often tell them off for taking advantage of their employment. And sometimes he'd even fire those stuff on the spot. Well, my favourite part of the show was when the boss would reveal himself uh, to these employees. He knew it was, it was happening every single episode, but somehow it was just uh, amazing every time. <laughs> well, imagine, just imagine for a second if our boss came to inspect our work one day. I don't mean the boss from your normal workplaces, but our boss in heaven. What if Jesus came back today, undercover, to inspect our lives and see uh, how we lived our lives? How would Jesus, how would you like Jesus to find you? How would you like Jesus to find you when he comes to judge? Would you like him to find you slacking off? ungrateful, complaining that following Jesus is just too hard. So you lowered the bar of what Jesus might expect of you because it was ridiculous. Well, of course not. You'd want Jesus to find you working hard, slaving away, doing whatever you could, suffering for Jesus' cause. Well, that's exactly what the Apostle Peter teaches the suffering Christians of Asia Minor in this letter especially in our passage today in chapter 4, he teaches them that suffering for Jesus is good. Suffering for Jesus is how you would want God to find us. 
Suffering for Jesus is the way we would want God to find us when he comes to judge. Suffering for Jesus is good. So it's likely that our brothers back in Peter's time in Asia Minor, well, they were threatened as a community. They were a small minority, not like today with Christianity, where it's a majority, but in Roman society, they were, they were small and insignificant. It was hard to define a Christian because they were made up of people of all different kinds of cultures, uh, of different places of origin, and even different languages. And besides, they were a new religion. In other words, you might say that they were refugees in a world that struggled to find a place for them. And in fact, they didn't fit in. In fact, people saw them as nothing, not even a thing, nobodies. On top of that, uh, the, the people saw them as strange, you know, unusual. And, and, and they saw them with suspicion. So when people see you as strange and with suspicion, what do they do? Well, they often ridicule you, don't they? And in the Roman society, they even began to use Christians as scapegoats for crimes in Roman society. So they started to blame them for things that they didn't do. So the pressure was on for these Christians to just fit into the rest of society. The pressure was immense. And in many ways, you might say, it would have been easier for them to just try and blend in, to fit in. So that's why Peter spends most of this letter teaching these Christians in Asia Minor uh, how they should suffer as Christians in light of these circumstances. So they're increasingly facing an oppressive anti-Christian government. And here in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19, Peter finally explains how it is that they should see their suffering. Peter paints the bigger picture of what God is doing in human history to help them to make sense of the suffering that they're experiencing all of a sudden. So Peter explains that suffering for Jesus should be no surprise. Suffering for Jesus should be no surprise. Peter shows us this by saying in verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So Peter says that suffering for being a Christian, well, it's no surprise. Suffering for Jesus should not be unexpected. So Peter doesn't spend a lot of time explaining why this is the case, but in a way he doesn't need to, because that's what he's been doing previously in this book. He said it a few times already. So in 1 Peter 2.21, he explains that Jesus suffered as an example for them. So if Jesus is the example, then, he, then we're to expect that we suffer like Jesus. In chapter 3.17-18, he says that it's good to suffer because Jesus suffered for us. Once again, as an example for us to follow as our leader. And earlier in this chapter, in verse 1, he says, we should be willing to suffer because... Like Jesus, we're done with sin. So Jesus was done with sin, and we're done with sin now, so we should expect that we suffer in life. We don't live by the ways that the world lives. So suffering, even suffering severely, like the Christians in Asia Minor, in the form of ridicule and political oppression and social alienation, 
Well, it shouldn't be a surprise. Because Jesus, the person we follow and model our lives around, suffered exactly the same way. Because Jesus trusted God with his life. He was confident that what he did, even though he had to suffer for it, was what God wanted him to do. So he was willing to suffer doing it. So then what about us? What about Christians? Well, we should expect to suffer just like Jesus. Also, Peter adds that suffering, the suffering we experience as Christians, it's not for no purpose. Peter says Christian suffering is a test. It tests us. That is, God is actually behind it and he uses it to test us. More specifically, he uses it to test our faith. He uses it uses the, in the form of Christian suffering and ridicule, and he uses it to test our faith. That's what suffering is, testing, not something pointless. So, suffering for Jesus is good. Suffering for Jesus is how we would want God to find us when he comes to judge. So it's a little bit like in the life of a Christian missionary. So I remember a couple of years ago, I went to a uh, PNG and I visited a boarding school for missionary kids. Uh, and I, this is a new concept for me back then. And I learned about how lots of missionaries in PNG will they leave their children behind in these boarding schools to be looked after by someone else that's not their parents, while their parents worked in remote and dangerous places. So these children were separated from their families months at a time. Because their parents were in these places, like I said, teaching people about Jesus. And often these children, they didn't understand why that they needed to be away from their families for such lengthy periods. In fact, a lot of them didn't even know why they were living overseas and why they needed to be away from their country of birth and their family and their friends. Well, if you look at the life of a missionary, these children especially... You might think of these missionary parents uh, as reckless and irresponsible, bad parents. Why would you leave your kids behind with other people? So that's one way to look at it. But another way to look at it is these parents, it's quite remarkable what they're willing to do uh, for their faith. Their faith leads them to make tremendous sacrifices for God. So they're willing to be away from their, their own children so that they might do what God wants them to do. They're willing to, for these children to experience difficulty and for the, themselves to experience the difficulty of being away from their children. Well, if the world wasn't coming to an end, these missionary parents, you might be able to consider them reckless. But as it is, the world is coming to an end, and Jesus does command us to tell everyone everywhere about Jesus. So we shouldn't think that suffering like this is unusual for the Christian life. So Jesus embraced his suffering and missionaries embraced discomfort to help people know about Jesus. Well, what, what about us? What's our response to suffering? Are we alarmed when we suffer as Christians? Are we offended when people make us feel uncomfortable? Because the media paints a negative picture of Christians that were dangerous. Well, we shouldn't be surprised. 
Jesus wasn't convinced, uh, wasn't received positively by people in his day. Uh, so we should expect that we're the same. And besides, Peter tells us that suffering as Christians, well, it's a test. A test that we truly believe. Because if we didn't believe what Jesus says is true, then we wouldn't be willing to suffer for it, would we? That wouldn't make any sense. So if Peter tells Christians in Asia Minor not to respond to Christian persecution as a rude shock, then how should we respond to it then? Well, Peter tells us that suffering for Jesus is an honor, not embarrassing. Suffering for Jesus is an honor, not embarrassing. So rather than being shocked when persecution comes, Peter recommends that Christians in Asia Minor respond to suffering by rejoicing. Peter shows us this by saying uh, what he says in verse 13, if you'll look there with me. He says, But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the suffering of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So why does Peter say persecuted Christians should rejoice? Well, it's surely not because suffering is fun. Or that suffering is the end goal. You know, that's not the goal of Christianity. But suffering as a Christian is only good and something to be celebrated because we look forward to when we will really celebrate when Jesus returns. That's what it's all about. Another way to look at it is, if we suffer now because of Jesus, we can be sure that we will be part of the celebration when Jesus returns. Well, if you're not convinced that Christian suffering is a sign that you'll be part of God's kingdom when he returns, well, Peter says in verse 14, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. So Peter encourages the Christians in Asia Minor that if you're ridiculed for being a Christian, well, then it's a good thing. You're blessed. It's a good thing. Because it shows that God's spirit is at work in you. And it shows that you reflect God's own character. It's like a signature, a characteristic about you that's a bit different. So what he's saying is that you're different because the Holy Spirit is motivating you and teaching you to be different to the people around you. Your habits and your behavior, they're not learnt from people, but God himself So much so that people see that you're different. There's something different about this person. In fact, so much so that they can ridicule you because you're different. So we shouldn't be embarrassed to be persecuted as Christians. And lastly, Peter uh, proves that Christian suffering is not something to be embarrassed about in what he says in verse 16. He says, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. So this is one of the few times the word Christian is used in the whole Bible. In fact, Christian is not a term that Christians came up with. It was actually a term uh, that people in Rome came up with that was meant to ridicule Christians, to tease them. It literally meant someone who's a slave of Christ. So it was intended to mock people who dedicate their lives to following Jesus. Romans thought that that was a bit strange. But what Paul or Peter does here is he encourages the ridiculed Christians in Asia Minor 
to accept that title. Because it's true, it's accurate. They do serve Jesus. And it's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something we should be embarrassed about. Well, it's a little bit like uh, when I was in primary school on the Central Coast. Let's just say that there weren't a lot of Chinese people around. Uh, So my mum would uh, pack my lunch every day. Um, But my parents would often travel to Sydney to get some Asian groceries. You know, it was a connection that they, a thing that connected them to their past, to their heritage, you might say. So they loved to do that. And what my mum would do the next day was she would pack some of those groceries and snacks into my lunchbox. And uh, uh, so I'd, uh, so it might have been some Chinese iced tea or barbecue pork buns or something like that. But I always remember at lunchtime I'd open up my lunchbox and I'd freak out, I'd gasp, and then I'd quickly try and hide it from my friends. Because I felt embarrassed that to have Asian snacks in my bag. Because I knew that it, would, it was guaranteed to grab the attention of my friends. Uh, it was guaranteed to cause a stir. And I was genuinely afraid of being teased for being different. I had enough trouble fitting in at school as it was. Uh, I didn't need this. But one day, I let my guard down and I didn't know that mum packed some things in my lunchbox. And I opened up my lunchbox next to my friend and, uh, and immediately he was drawn to my unusual food items. He was like, oh, what's that? Uh, he'd never seen something like that in his whole life before. And, uh, and when I tried to hide it, to my surprise, he told me this. He said, I don't know why you're so embarrassed about having different food for lunch. I think it's cool. I'd be proud of being different, is what he said. Or maybe there was something to learn from my friend back then. Well, what happened there was a little bit like what Peter is telling these Christians in Asia Minor. He's telling them not to be embarrassed or offended when someone ridicules you and calls you a Christian. But to be proud to be called a Christian, it's an honour to be called someone who serves Jesus. Because it's true. And we ought not be afraid of people knowing that. In fact, it's often less helpful when people don't know that we're Christian. Like when you find out a work colleague was a Christian only after you stopped working there. I mean, you could have been an encouragement for them and them to you all that time. What a shame. Also, when people don't know you're a Christian, oh, sorry, when people do know you're a Christian, you have the opportunity to explain a bit of what you believe to people, to talk about it. That's impossible if they don't know that you're a Christian. They won't ask. And lastly, Peter explains that suffering for Jesus is good because suffering for Jesus is the right way to prepare for God's judgment. Suffering for Jesus is the right way to prepare for God's judgment. So here is where Peter puts the Christian suffering faced by those in Asia Minor into perspective. And he explains that suffering for being Christian is the beginning of God's judgment. So we see this in verse 17 where he says, For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. So by God's household, Peter here is talking about Christians. So in 1 Peter 2.5, Peter calls all Christians a part of God's household. That's how we know that he's talking about Christians. 
So Peter explains that suffering as Christians is the beginning of God's judgment. But Peter also explains that God's judgment won't only be felt by Christians, but for everyone. He says that for people to obey God's uh, sorry, there's so for people to experience God's judgment isn't is for people who obey the gospel and believe in Jesus, and it's also for those who do not. So Peter here wants the Christians of Asia Minor to think about which one they'd rather be. Those who obey the gospel and are prepared to face God's judgment, knowing that they'll be safe, or those who disobey and reject God's gospel and, and will face God's full wrath for rejecting him, their creator. So in light of this, as Christians, Christian suffering isn't so bad, is it? Yes, it's hard suffering as a Christian, and it's even harder maintaining your faith when people are persecuting you. But it's really nothing compared to the suffering people will face for rejecting God, for rejecting Jesus when he comes to judge us. He explains this in verse 18. And then Peter concludes why uh, his point about uh, Christian suffering, about how it's the beginning of God's judgment in what he says in verse 19. He says this. He says, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should submit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So what Peter, uh, Peter concludes regarding suffering as, Christian, uh, as a Christian uh, to those in Asia Minor is that suffering doing what God wants, well, it's an act of faith. It's trusting your soul to the faithful creator. It's trusting God with your life. It's knowing that ultimately only what God thinks matters. So what this will mean is that if Christians attempted to give up on following Jesus, to slack off, to compromise, to go back to the way of sin and doing whatever we want, well, it doesn't make any sense. It's ridiculous. Because it doesn't, it's not what uh, following Jesus is all about. It's not what trusting God, the Creator, is all about. It's not trusting God, the Creator, when we just go back to doing whatever we want. It misses the whole point of Christianity. Well, it's a little bit like exams at the end of a course. It might be the HSC or uni or TAFE. It might even be an assessment when you're being certified for a profession. So for me, this is very fresh in my mind because, uh, you know, it's in, the, in the last two weeks, I've finished my last Bible college exam uh, and it made sense for me to try my best for that last exam. To finish off my degree, that would make sense. Well, what wouldn't have made sense is if, if I gave up and I just relaxed and I thought, you know, I've done enough work, I'll just relax now. That wouldn't make any sense because that would have been a waste of seven years of part-time study, all for nothing. Well, it's the same when it comes to suffering now as Christians. When we suffer now, Peter says that it's God's judgment coming to the world. It's the final examination. And it begins with God's household, the church, us. So now is not the time to give up. 
So it's very difficult to pinpoint uh, exactly the timing of God's judgment in the Bible. Sometimes the Bible talks about God's judgment as happening at a certain time in the future. But other passages, like this one, teach us that God's judgment has already started. And it already started at the time of Jesus. And it's continuing now. And God's judgment, it'll be based on one uh, most significant factor. And the most significant factor of God's judgment will be based on their response to Jesus. Jesus himself explains this to us in John three sixteen to 21. So we always hear the famous section, John three sixteen, but the bit after it is a bit interesting. And this is what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever uh, does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So here what's happening is Jesus is talking to someone, someone by the name of Nicodemus. So Nicodemus was an important religious teacher of the Jews at that time. But he came to see Jesus at an interesting time. He came at night. And ironically, he was a teacher of the people of Israel and he came to be taught by Jesus. But he chose to come at night. Well, why did he want to do that? Well, it was because he was afraid to be exposed as a believer. And what's Jesus' response to him? Well, we see it here. He tells him not to be afraid of coming into the light about his faith. Well, it's the same thing that Peter encourages the suffering Christians in Asia Minor. He encourages them not to be afraid of making their faith known to others. To not be ashamed of their faith in Jesus. Jesus wants people to respond to him by coming into the light. So someone who believes in Jesus is someone who's not afraid to be exposed to be someone who believes in Jesus. Not someone who only privately believes in his mind and only believes behind closed doors. Because they know that what really matters, what only matters is what God thinks. Well, something we need to ask ourselves today is do we live in a way that shows that we only care about what God thinks? Am I really openly a Christian with other people Well, if I'm honest to myself and I would ask myself this question, I know I'm not. Yes, I don't shy away from being recognized as a Christian pretty hard in my line of work. um, But I do feel the awkwardness of being known as a Christian. I have to say sometimes it's easier just to be quiet when I could say something a bit more helpful. 
Well, what are some of the take-homes from our passage today? What is Peter teaching us? Well, first of all, he teaches us not to be surprised when persecution comes because that's what happened to Jesus. We should expect that that will happen to us. And second thing is we should remember that when people ridicule us, we should see it as an honour, not something to be embarrassed about. It's the truth. We do follow Jesus. We shouldn't be embarrassed about what he teaches, what he, what he thinks matters more. And thirdly, we're to remember that right now God is testing us and preparing us to meet him. He cares about what we do now. It's not just believing way back when. So we should prepare and think about the things that we do and be prepared for him to come back. Well, earlier I talked about what if Jesus came to judge us today? Would we be ready? Well, whether we like it or not, Jesus has come and he started to judge. We learn this in John 3 and in 1 Peter 4. Peter tells us that he has begun judging the world and he starts with God's household, the church, us. How do you fare in his judgment with the way you live? How would you like Jesus to find you? Well, let's not shy away from persecution. Let's make it known that we're Christians, if that's who we are. Let's not let people believe what the media says about Christians. But let's let them ridicule us, but based on the truth. So that they'll actually know what we're about, not just what people say about us. Because ultimately, only what God thinks really matters.